1: Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA national writer at the Athletic. Here with usual suspect Anthony Slater from the beautiful airport in Denver, maybe my least favorite airport in the NBA circuit. What's up, brother? It is
2: packed here. I can already tell. Having you know, I'm going to go through security soon. It it is uh, one of the most common connecting flights in the league. I feel like Denver. Uh, One of the reasons I think you're saying it's your least favorite is because it takes about, what, 35, 40 minutes to get from the airport to downtown?
1: Yeah, disclaimer, first world problems. We're lucky enough to cover sports for a living and travel to see these games. Okay, don't don't come at me, people. But it's very far from downtown. Uh, It's massive, and security is typically pretty long. Uh, That is actually, I guess I'll give them a free promo. That's the place where I paid for the clear access. For the simple fact that I was going to wow. miss my flight if I didn't. And so, you know, they hit me in the pocketbook because the system there doesn't work as well as you might hope that it does, but it's huge. Once you get in, it might take you 25, 30 minutes to, to take your shuttle and, and get to the terminal. It's just large. And, you know, and when you're trying to get home, uh, that's always a little bit tricky, but
2: go ahead. You got some. Well, I'm just saying you're previewing my life about 45 minutes from now as I, uh, make that trip. All right, Are you not, Pat? I am at the airport because I uh, I'm at the airport because I uh you know decided to to make the trek from downtown here uh but to do the podcast I felt like I would wait outside security also it is super packed now I'm hoping maybe it thins out a little bit uh you know over the next however long we do this podcast but Sam Namek, I'm like uh, I'm stalling a little bit because I know you're having technical issues but I don't want to restart the podcast again so Uh, I might even preview what we're doing on today's podcast while you figure out a way to unmute yourself. Uh, We are doing basically, I don't know, like, you know, what do we believe? What don't we believe? Uh, I don't know how we're going to label it. But, you know, which team is going to turn around the early season struggles? Which team off to a hot start is the most misleading? And I think, believe it's the Andrew Schleck special. Which team in the
1: top 10 in defense is the most fraudulent? yes it is and i'm back thank you for the stalling tactic hopefully andrew can figure out my multiple recordings on the back end we are off the tracks but we're going to get back on track here yeah you got the breakdown right slater Uh, i forget if i mentioned fred katz is going to join us in a little bit here as well uh and it's good to have both you guys back uh we kind of wanted to build off of a little bit the spirit of what i wrote this week uh you know the headline of My piece was from Lakers and LeBron to Warriors and Wolves, early NBA concerns and celebrations. It's kind of, you know, which teams are fire, which teams are fraudulent, if you will. Uh, It's that fun time of year where you've seen just enough to start forming opinions of what these things and these games and this action might mean. But you also know that six months from now, a lot of what we thought and saw and observed and analyzed right now is going to look silly. You know what I mean? Like how many times do you have a team that, that they, they gets off to a great start and, and then fades. So let's get to it. I'm going to start with that, that first category of which team is going to turn the early season struggles around. Here's the list we're going to dive into. Uh, and, you know, the the two teams you covered last night and Nuggets Warriors are definitely not on this list. And, and we'll get to those type of teams on the back end. Uh, we got Knicks, Lakers, Grizzlies, Heat. And, and I threw in the old Kings at the end because it's in my backyard and, and I was at that game last night. Uh, unimpressive win over Portland in overtime. Um, we
2: might need to stall a little bit for Fred to do the Knicks portion of this. Let's
1: put funny. Knicks at the end. Yeah, do we fine. want to start with the Kings because I watched that game last night. He yeah, you and I tend to focus on the Kings, yeah. and I'm just fine with that. So the quick, you know, meat and potatoes breakdown here: they're three and four, um, not a crisis record-wise. You know what I mean? It's a whole lot better than than two and five if they had dropped that game last Which, night. I mean, in in for this context, they were zero and four last year. I believe yep. they were th- like they would have been
2: three and four through, maybe even two and five through seven games last year. It was a, it was kind of a rocky start.
1: It was uh, the the major difference to me is that that was coming on the heels of sixteen years of postseasonless basketball, where people were kind of trained to see the Kings struggle. This, of course, is such a new experience for them, where they have expectations you know, my God, you and I wrote 3,000 words about how they legitimately saw themselves internally as eventual title contenders, that this was the goal, this is the push, they're trying to become from good to great. Uh, those themes are not panning out right now, but what is panning out, and it's something that was in our story, yeah, is, you know, the commentary and the perspective from Coach Mike Brown uh, specifically about the idea that if I'm going to push them into this new place, ask them to play better defense, ask him to to you know make that good to great jump it might be ugly and sure and i'm paraphrasing but sure enough he was right uh slater i don't know exactly where you want to start but for me the shooting is what is, is so puzzling i met that game last night and it's one thing if the offense is not functioning like it did last season and the open looks are not there the open looks are there keegan murray is scuffling i mean it is a sophomore slump in every sense of, of that phrase um I think 25% at this point on high volume, um, just cannot hit wide open threes. Uh, Kevin Herter has played a little bit better the last couple of games, but coming in at 28.6% uh, on six threes per game, um, that the shooting is a massive problem. The defense has barely gotten better. And before I throw it to you, you know the breakdown in terms of rankings, 18th in defense, they were 23rd last year, 20th in offense, they were not only first last year, but they were a historic first and then 21st overall in net rating. What are you seeing there?
2: Yeah, I think some of the shooting is just, you know, just a bad streak at a bad time, right? There was seven game, eight game streaks where Keegan Murray shot in the 20th percentile last year. And then there'd be eight game streaks, certainly from Herter where he'd be 50% from three. You know, I'm sure that's coming. So I think if you were bright siding it, it's just like, hey, you're two of your best shooters. Maybe your two be- best shooters are twenty. 20- five percent and 28 percent from three right now Malik Monk 33 percent obviously the De'Aaron Fox injury is very relevant here they were uh they actually look like opening night looked very good in Utah won that game played the Warriors tough in their home opener to loss beat the Lakers to go two and one where De'Aaron Fox was awesome in that game but De'Aaron Fox pretty badly sprains his ankle uh they're still two and one then they go to San Francisco and I thought fought the Warriors pretty well without Fox yeah. right yeah, yeah they, they did hey, should have won, you know. Should have like, won that game. You know, yeah,
1: Clay Thompson,
2: you know, Thompson was a game winner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tough two with with two seconds left to win it. Um, so you know, through four games, you're like looking pretty solid. Like even through some shooting struggles, they're defending decently. They're uh, two and two, but then yeah, go Houston, get blown out twice. Look pretty lifeless. yon Mitchell starts both games. Doesn't look good. Mike Brown, who is pushing buttons right now, even uncomfortable buttons, uh, makes uh, some sweeping. Rotation changes for the Portland home game. He starts a two way player, Keon Ellis, who had played well in the the last Houston game. Alex Lynn ahead of JaVel McGee and then the probably the most interesting one, right? Kessler Edwards ahead of Sasha Vizankov, who gets a, a DMP last oh, night. You know, I think that's defense related. I think that's rewarding guys. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's rewarding guys who came
1: in and played hard. Uh I mean Jeremy Grant was a problem for them. Kessler yeah. was on him a lot, you know, so I understood it yeah um but it's also just like hey
2: like those guys played harder in one of the Houston games like play hard and you'll play for me i think it was kind of that type of message um so i you know again i think it is too early to panic but uh the offense just isn't moving as fluidly they seem a little tighter and then i think we're seeing how important fox is i mean he's he is an elite player whose on off impact is massive
1: and it seems like a day-to-day situation for fox um You know, I I don't have clarity yet. I'd be surprised if you played Friday against OKC. uh, But I'll finish with here on the Kings later because we got a lot of ground to cover. Um, Their schedule is brutal, and it's just a product of the West being tough. But also, you know, from there, just even the Eastern Conference games they have are tough. Here's the breakdown starting Friday at home in their in-season tournament game against the Thunder. They go OKC, Cavs, Lakers, Spurs, Mavs. Pelicans, Pelicans, Wolves, Warriors, Clippers, Nuggets, Nets, Clippers. I mean, I keep going the way I see it. Not until December 16th do they have a game that you would say, like, you know, that Vegas would probably have them favored in, I think, at this point. Uh, And maybe that's not accurate, but like the Jazz on December 16th and then the Wizards are the next game, but but it's a rough schedule. Yeah. I mean, that's the league now,
2: though. You know, like it's tough to. I mean, Portland at home is about as. Simple a game as you're going to get. And even last night, I mean, that's that difficult. Uh, So I don't know. It sounds like we might have Fred Katz soon. So maybe we could talk Knicks. But is there another team on that on this list that you want to go Lakers right now? That's looked a little, a little rough. Uh, Three and five. Oh, and five on the road. Three and oh at home. I mean, the LeBron off on numbers. I mean, I mentioned the Fox on numbers. The LeBron one, especially for his age, his minute total that, that are climbing up has been the concern they just got blown out in Houston and Houston may come up as our team in our different category because they've had what three straight blowout wins. They blew out the Kings twice and now blown out the Lakers but I don't I mean you know injury issues with the Lakers Austin Reeves has got off to a slow start Anthony Davis now has this uh it sounds like a spasm issue um what but you know we there was a lot of people hyping their offseason I think we we graded it out pretty well
1: Are you, is it early concern for you? Um, Yeah, I think so. And my thing is that, you know, it's so interesting that they share on opening night of the regular season that LeBron's going to have the playing time uh, limit. And apologies if I missed that, folks. We're getting through the technical stuff here. Um, But you, you, you say 29 minutes, 30 minutes territory for LeBron, right? And then proceed to just absolutely run him ragged because you you've got to and then you know what it ends up getting you is uh is a three and four record um or is it three and five at this point where are they at they're three and five so all you know, five on the road o and five on the road um it's funny because we just talked kings somebody with the kings last night was saying you know yeah bad couple days for us in houston but maybe the rockets are better than people realized i think that's very fair you know houston is Playing some feisty ball, we're going to actually get to them later and, and analyze how real that is. Uh, but so the Lakers just get pounded, you know. And I don't know where LeBron's minutes ended up last night, but coming in, you know, you got a guy who's going to be 39 years old in late December. Um, I mean, he's playing fantastic individually. 25.3 points entering that last game was second rebounding at eight eight a game, second and assists. Um, it's just too much in year 21. As great as he is. Uh, too much, too early if they have these, like they do, these aspirations to be a contender. Plus so,
2: 29 with him on the floor and minus 87
1: with him off the floor. Yeah. So uh, the injuries have been brutal. You know, Rui Hachimura has only played four games. Um, you know, they, they've, they've got a lot of stuff on that side of things. The depth that they were excited about going in. You know, Torian Prince has been out. So I get it, um, but it's a it's a bad start for them. It's a bad look, uh, and really, it's it kind of comes down to the fact that this season again, like two seasons ago, the the AD only minutes have not been very good. Which is not just an indictment of of AD. I know we pick on him a lot, but just that you know the lineups around or with AD are not working to this point. Um, but they got to figure something out again. It's a little bit like the Kings. Like it's fine. Like we get it. The West is tough, but Uh, you know, you, if you get too far behind too quick, then it's going to be a problem.
2: They were legitimately banking on Austin Reeves as like the rising third of a big three. Right. I mean, there's even a little like fringe all-star nudging out there. Like, you know, maybe eventually he could morph his way into kind of like that, like 14th all-star spot, you know, I'm not saying he's going to become all nba no, he was team. yeah
1: he was a rising but, player
2: you know and like as part of this great off season that they were considered to have i think his contract was viewed as incredible value i mean i definitely thought they got him back on, on great value um and i think it's a way way too early across the league to be saying hey uh-oh on some of these guys and maybe he's a little bit fatigued from you know he he played over you know he did team usa this summer but 27 percent from three you know, 41% from overall, uh, they've been really bad with him on the floor, and he's supposed to be their, you know, third best player, secondary creator, take a lot of the load off of on and Davis, and they just, he has not lived up to that through eight games, Was just you know, not a lot, but I think that's been a big
1: reason. No, I agree. We got a new face on the stream here, Mr. Fred Katz, joining the party. What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm good. Came just in time for Austin Reeves' stock? Austin Reeves stock falling. I think I think he'll get there. I'm not too worried about Austin's game. I think he'll figure it out. You know what the um, thing
0: is, and, and Slater touched on it. So many of the the dudes who played Team USA are struggling with their jump shot to begin this season. Like almost, not literally all of them, but almost all of them. I cover two of them. Josh Hart and, and Jalen Brunson, who have both not been the same as they were last year. And it's not just international guys who are struggling. It's not like guys who played in FIBA are struggling. Like Franz Wagner has been awesome. It's, it's, it's the guys who played Team USA. And I just wonder if it's because like a guy like Franz Wagner plays for Germany every year. Dennis Schroeder plays for Germany every year. And this is this is new for a lot of these guys' bodies. It's new for their off-season routines. I've talked about it with Josh Hart since I cover him. And he's just like his body, he feels it. He feels that he had a completely different, more active summer than he normally gets, so I'm I'm being more patient on the guys who played Team USA than than I maybe yeah. otherwise would, and it's still early anyway.
1: It's interesting how it works though, because it's like
2: there are can I out.
1: can I interrupt real fast just because I don't want to miss the moment? I'm so happy that, yeah. that Katz just gave me this oop, and he doesn't even realize it that that he's just gonna sing, you know, play this violin for the Team USA players when his guy Tyrese Halliburton oh is just balling out. And yeah, he's I, balling out. I don't, I don't see Superman Halliburton
0: having a problem with this. You know, yeah, that's because he's Superman. He's so good. <laughs> he's so good. You guys thought I was kidding when I was like, yeah, the Pacers might have won by seven if they had, uh, against Boston, if they had had him. His on offs are hilarious because of that game. It, right. it, it,
2: it always is. does feel like it's one of the two, though, because, you know, I covered Draymond and you, you know, in the past, Sam, like when he plays the summer for Team USA, he comes into camp in like really good shape. He's like, love is that he, you know, they usually have a good better start to the season because of that. And, you know, because he's feeling fresh. It's like, yeah, hey, I played basketball all summer, so I'm not playing myself in the shape. So uh, you know, it's give and take. Should we do Knicks though? I
1: mean, we were kind of sick. We should. We're gonna this is gonna be rapid fire because I, I do want to get to all these teams. And Fred, we waited on the Knicks for you for obvious reasons. Um they uh they're an interesting one. I'm having so many technical issues today. Um, Slater, why don't you take the breakdown of the Knicks before? Yeah,
2: well, take the breakdown of the Knicks. Just tell you, know, uh, the category we're doing right now, uh, is which team is going to turn their early, early struggles
0: around? What are your, where are the Knicks at? Honestly, I think they're fine. Like they, they're four and four right now. They've really struggled on offense. They've been extremely good on defense. If you look at the bigger issues, it's that they haven't really been able to hit a three. Which it's been worse than expected, but it's not like they were expected to be some really good three point shooting team. They were third in the league in points per possession last season while they're like in the bottom 10 right now. And honestly, if you really look through it and you grade through, you're like Josh Hart has struggled, but that's not the reason why they're not playing great. Jalen Brownson hasn't really shot the same percentages, but he's been solid, but he hasn't shot the same percentages he did last year. He hasn't been like an elite all star caliber player. But it's not really why the offense has fallen off a cliff. RJ Barrett has gotten way better. Mitchell Robinson has gotten way better. Emmanuel quickly has been his usual self. And you go through it, and you are like, "Oh, okay." If Julius Randle didn't forget how to play basketball for the first six games of the season, they'd be fine. Like he was just twenty-seven percent.
1: Going to play every other year is that the Randle legacy?
0: Well, he's been good the last two games. He's been he's been good the last two games. I think he I think he found something the last couple of games. He's been a lot more aggressive going to the hoop. uh, Something I'm probably going to write for tomorrow, and this is really digging into it. I had a great exchange with him after the game last night where I asked him about, he's been running, there's just not that much space in the offense because they don't really shoot. And Randall is is such a bulldozer going to the rim. And, And he was outwardly complaining about the lack of space in the paint. And one thing they've done the last two games is they've been using Mitchell Robinson to set screens for him. They've been running these four or five pick and rolls and it's getting Randall to the hoop every time It's really working insanely well. Cause it's bringing the big man away from the rim and it's creating a lot more space down low and giving Julius a, a running start. And he's using that momentum around the rim to kind of build out from there. I mean, he was good in the Clippers game earlier this week. He was good in their game against San Antonio who is, has been so unimpressive defensively. Uh, you yeah, know, he was good in that game against San Antonio yesterday. I, I think he's starting to find a little something and it's just like, If Randall doesn't shoot literally 27% in the field and 22% on threes over the first six games on like 15 shots a game, they had a close loss to the Bucs. They had a close loss to Boston. Like they probably eat one or both of those out. Now we're talking about a team that's five and three or six and two. And we're talking about RJ's incredible improvement where he has been way better. Mitchell Robinson's incredible improvement where he's playing insane defense and averaging six and a half offensive boards a game. Uh, I, I think they're fine. I think they're going to end up where we expected, which is somewhere in the middle of the East playoff picture.
2: Yeah, uh, I I agree with that. I think uh, you know to 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 wrap up this question, Lakers. Uh, I think you know I think they're going to get back in the playoff picture. I think they'll be fine. Uh, Kings, even I think the team we probably all are most worried about. I think the whole league is looking at this Memphis,
1: right? The, yeah, I was going to say one, let's one jump into the business. It ain't getting better, right? 1-7, obviously, you know, no John Moran, December 19th. Uh, I, they got that date circled. That's when he's back from the 25-game suspension. You know, the Steven Adams season-ending surgery, Brandon Clark, you know, very possibly out for the year. That's pretty devastating. You know, Marcus Smart coming to town, no Tyus Jones. Um, who am I leaving out, guys, that, that they're missing I, from?
2: I mean, look, I mean, if we can go back two years when felt it felt like they were so deep, like you said, no Tyus Jones, no more De'Anthony Melton, no more Kyle Anderson, uh, no more Dylan Brooks, who's playing well in Houston right now. Whatever you want to say about him,
1: yeah, that's uh, the uh, the elephant in the room is the Dylan Brooks one. He's playing well in Houston. You know, it's it's tough. I mean, are they going to pull out of this? I, I don't know. This this hole seems pretty deep. Um, you know, you're talking about a team that offensively, it's funny. Tyus Jones led the league, and as you guys know, an assist to turnover ratio of the last five years. Um, coming into last night, Grizzlies not only. Uh, let's see where were they. 25th and assist to turnover ratio. Um, offense is terrible. Defense is not bad, but it's 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 a bad way for them, and it's just not what they had in mind. They needed to keep their head above water while Ja was out. Um, and the tough part is, you know, they've actually been competitive. Six of the seven losses were single digits. They lose in overtime to Portland. Um, it's funny. I heard friend and colleague Tom Haberstroh the other day on a on a Yahoo podcast with Dan Devine breaking down the adjusted net rating uh, of the Grizzlies. And it was a very kind of rose-colored glasses, silver lining type perspective on Memphis. And, and he had indicated that the net rating, if you're talking about strength of competition being factored in, was middle of the road, you know, around 15th. Um, you know, I don't know if, if I buy into that too much, but 24th overall right now in net rating and, and the league's worst offense.
0: I'm going to be a little less rose-colored. Even once Jock ja comes back, I'm still nervous about this team being anything close to. It. This is a team that the second best record in the West two years in a row, and I'm I am I would be shocked if they got back up there, even if they played at that level once Jaw is back. And and part of the reason why is you guys touched on it a little bit. There are so many nuances here beyond just not having guys. Their style is different, and their biggest flaw for all these years is now even bigger than it was before, which is even when they were winning games in the mid fifties and playing the warriors in the playoffs and, and, you know, challenging to get to the conference finals and all of that, this, this team, its biggest flaw was that it could get bogged down in the half court. That's what we saw all the time. Problems with the half court offense and it's half court offense was built around the fact that they were going to get stops and they could be really, really good running the ball, which could make up for it. And when they missed shots, they were better than anybody else in the NBA in getting second shots. Uh, they were the best offensive rebounding team in the league, and and they even catered their shot selection around that, whether intentionally or not in some ways, right? Like They take a lot of floaters, for example, which is a really high offensive rebound shot. They have all these guys who take those sorts of shots, which are you're going to gobble up on the offensive boards, and they would lead the league or finish second in the league in offensive rebound rate basically every year, in and out, over and over, and it would hold up their offense, and it would make their half-court offense somewhat pliable, and now there's no Stephen Adams who was a one man offensive rebounding machine, one of the two best offensive rebounders in the league, maybe the best, along with Mitchell Robinson. There's no Brandon Clark flying in for offensive boards. And all of a sudden, this team is, is 24th, 25th in offensive rebound rate just by missing those two guys. It was a massive element of their offense and their identity. And it's now turned into a weakness, which is exacerbating a larger weakness on the roster I'm I'm nervous with the way that they're comprised about how they can get up to to like a a good win total that will take them above the play-in tournament. I, I just the West is really deep and and they're they're they're. I mean,
1: Fred on at one and seven. Tournament. I'm not sure that playing tournament is, is something you can assume either. You know
0: what I mean with the way the West. Sure. Is. Yeah. It, I mean, I I figure that like they still have jaw. They it, it, I figure that like. 38 39 wins shouldn't be an unreasonable expectation but you're right like they're
2: they're one in seven so this this season felt like a pretty big they made a big bet on their draft and development program which obviously had been good you know you kept paying 30 at jackson was a good draft pick uh jaw but they eroded at their depth the last couple years based on the fact that they thought, hey, look, David Roddy can fill in, Jake LaRavia can fill in, uh, and Zaire Williams, w- right? That was that was a big part, you know, the, the whole Trey Murphy for Zaire Williams, you know, draft night swap, which inclu- included Valashunas for Steven Adams. Uh, I don't know, those three young guys haven't developed yet, we'll see. I know player development was the thing they really kind of were focusing on, league, you know, looking to improve on this summer. It's too early to judge eight games in. Um, but if those guys don't prove to be legit rotation pieces, then one of their large strengths from the teams we're talking about, which was their depth, is completely gone. Uh, so I think – and, and, and I, I'm not optimistic it's coming back right now.
1: You mentioned Zary, uh, Zary Williams Slater. Team worst, minus 85. Not going well for that young fella.
0: All right, let's well, keep they're it just going. They're hitting their threes either. They just, even the guys were supposed to, like Luke Kennard, is supposed to be hitting 40 some up side. Which, you know, again, like we talked about the Kings, some of that's going
2: to stabilize. You know, these guys yeah. aren't going to be that bad. But I do still think overall, to answer this question and maybe pivot to the next subject, like Grizzlies are my answer of
1: like team I'd be most worried about within this. I would agree. I'm with you on that one. And, and it's not this it's- next team that I'm going to give kind of their, their, you know, well earned respect to the Miami Heat are coming in at four and four. Um, this one is just not moving the needle for me. Uh probably because I have very vivid memories of last season talking to Jimmy Butler in the visitors locker room at Golden One Center when the Heat were two and five, had just lost to the Kings, and he looked me dead in the eye and said, you know, we're gonna win the whole thing. Or something along those lines. He was very bold, very confident, because that's Jimmy. That's how he always is, you know, but We've seen this before. They were two and five. They were seven and eleven to start last year. Um, they're going to be competitive. They're going to be good. I do think the one specific thing I'd love to get your guest thoughts on. And by the way, they've just won three in a row. They beat Wizards, Lakers, Grizzlies. Is um, you know major difference from the finals run uh, is the Tyler Hero is part of this program again, uh, and he's leading the team in scoring and, and doing Tyler Hero things. Uh, but at least before this three game winning streak, it wasn't leading to uh, as much success. I mean, how, you know, there's such a different team with Tyler, and, and he's just a, a divisive player in terms of how people see him. Um, you know, how how much does that factor in here, and, and, you know, how do you guys feel about their ceiling?
0: I mean, I feel similarly about their ceiling now as I did when they were coming in. I thought they'd be an okay regular season team like they were last year. I got ratioed on all versions of yeah, social media because remember, pre- this It was
2: like Pacers are going to be better than
1: them. Which That's right. That's right. Yeah, you no, still feel that cool. way, don't you? Yeah.
0: Of course I feel that way. Yes. I mean, the heat the heat don't really care about the regular season too. I mean, if they last year certainly if they didn't really care that much about the regular season last year, I promise after last year, they're not like, damn, we better start caring about it now. Right. You know, I don't I don't think last year would have been a wake up call. I think it probably would have bolstered how they felt about it. So like I, I well, but everything the only you said thing with the heat that I would say the thing with the heat that I would say concerns me the most is that Kyle Lowry is just kind of being phased out when he's on the floor too often. And it's, it's weird to watch because he was a big part of their playoff run where he really, really struggled in the regular season last year. And he had a lot of great moments in that playoff run and they were using him with the bench. And uh, he was really good running that bench unit. And, and with the return of hero, I don't know if it's because of the return of hero, but that's another guy who is, who is, who is, you know, going to get at it with the ball. Lowry is really being phased out. His usage is crazy low. He goes a long time without kind of being involved in the offense at all. And that's an that was an important guy for them last year. Also, don't sleep on the return of Duncan Robinson, was like actually playing real minutes and hitting guys. Kyle, Kyle
2: Lowry is going to turn thirty
0: eight
1: March, by the way. So yeah, I feel like hey man. Thirty eight's the new thirty five. Just ask your boy Steph, although he ain't thirty eight.
0: No. But he's thirty-five, yeah, which is the yes. new thirty-two.
1: He's exactly. out there looking like he's twenty-six. Uh, I think we have Slater for like seven more minutes. And uh, speaking of Mister Steph Curry, number thirty, uh, I, I am going to keep it moving because I want to get, you know, his thoughts on the team that he covers most often. Um, but but to give a final verdict on the Heat, you know, that I, I think they'll be fine. But I mean, to me, they're not they're not the cream of the crop of the East. No, Gabe Vincent, no Max Trues. You know, I just think they're they're not the team they were last year, but you know they're going to be a, a winning team. Uh, what's your guys' final decision there?
2: Yeah, you know I could also see them being an aggressive trade
1: deadline team. Not sure. sure. Yeah, they have pieces. So yeah, Pat Riley's had himself a couple too, years. Like,
0: like K- Caleb Martin is a big player for them. He hasn't really played. Like they've they've had they've had some guys out too. Like they'll be better when Martin's back. They'll be better, you know, when when like Love is playing more consistently. They're 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 going to be what we thought they were going to be and then we'll be scared of them in the playoffs because they're the heat
1: fair enough fair enough all right well they're the heat is uh, you know in the same territory as they're the warriors they got a reputation four-time champs uh retooling that roster in the summer with chris paul you know the story um Slater, they've played well you know what i mean like consistently well uh you know even with some of the games they've dropped no draymond green last night for personal reasons the nuggets had no jamal murray Tight game all the way until the end, Uh, coming at you at six and three, at the moment um, you know drop to the Cavs and a loss to the Suns on opening night. Um, There haven't correct me if I'm wrong. I just there have not been or there has not been a bad night at the office so far, and and I think that bodes pretty well for this group. Yeah, I would say the Cleveland game was kind of a little bit of a dud, but
2: you know again seven and nine on the road. Start the season. Uh, their last eight games were in eight different cities. Uh, I mean, Steve Kerr said it last night, but it was like they saw that part of the schedule knowing, hey, we're integrating Chris Paul. Grandma Green misses camp, misses the first two games. Like, got to find a way to get through it, which they didn't last year. They started last season three and seven, and, and it kind of spiraled, right? Especially before what happened in the preseason. So they were just like survive this early season stretch. And He said a oh, lot. I was like, we did better than that, right? You know, they're coming back all six and three. They have Six straight games at home, eight to ten at home, and then if you really widen out, they're they're. I don't believe they don't leave the Pacific time zone for like until mid-January or something like that. Um, So they got a chance to build a rhythm, get some practice time. Uh, You know, the big two big stories early in the season for them are Steph Curry is still insane. You know, he still looks like a top five player. He's probably him and Jokic top two MVP. I mean, not to not to get into that discussion, but you know what. Sam, you might have it up, but his shooting splits right now are like, you know, 54, 48, 92, you know, averaging 30 plus per game. And he's shooting over 12 threes per game. Well, the three
1: is, happened. the three is wild. 47.3 on 12.4 attempts. Like that's and, NBA 2K stuff.
2: And on like, you know, getting swarmed. I mean, you see the, the shot attempts, like the way Denver was blitzing him last night and he's to, did you see the, the three, yeah, that almost got him back in the game? They're now five. Yeah. Just like, yeah, yeah. He's like, kind of like leaning in, just tosses it in the whole crowd. Like, what <laughs> the hell was that? Um, so, I mean, that's storyline number one. Because if he is not at top five player in the league type level, then they're no longer a title contender, right? Everything is built off him still being him. And he is getting up there in age, as we mentioned earlier. And the fact is, like, he still looks like that version of himself.
1: I mean, far be it from me to, to ever – you know, predicted Steph's going to cool off, but, but he will, right? Like, that's the thing where I'm curious to see when it levels out. This is a career high pace in terms of three point efficiency. Yeah. He said it
2: felt hotter to start the 16th season though.
1: Did he? Uh, Okay.
2: Yeah. But you know, know, unanimous MVP that year.
1: Yeah. That was 45.4 is where he finished on three. Yeah. That
0: was the year he also, that was the year he broke the three point record. Right. That was the year that... They were, so like, we're saying oh, he started hotter that year, but that was the greatest three-point shooting season. Well, yeah, answering. going
2: into that season, nobody had ever made 300 threes in a season, and he made 402, which, right. by the right. way, I you know I don't know how many... He's going to have to play a lot of games this season, but he's on pace to make like almost 500 threes right now. He's making uh, six a game? I know.
0: He's making six a game.
2: He's made at least four in every game, which is like he's already set an NBA record for like most consecutive games to open a season making four so yeah he's insane and then the other very big development is they are winning the minutes when he's off the floor which they never do and that's because of chris ball uh and and because of their their you know young guys like you are seeing some year three leap type stuff from moody you're seeing some encouraging stuff from kaminga it's been a little spotty wiggins is struggling you know but but even the rookies have kind of like helped out a little bit they both played last night uh so the fact that they're plus, like they're plus, I think eight last night with Steph was off the floor. That's why they were in the game and they just, they weren't doing that last year. So that's been an important, well.
0: Slater, what is the your work. latest? Wait, up- can I, can I follow up with something? I have a question yep, yep. for Slater. Yeah. So they're six and three right now. Yeah. They've had a difficult schedule like you touched on. I watched them and I'm like, maybe they're actually off to a slow start. Like, is it possible that we look back on this as an actual slow, like, Chris Paul can't hit a shot right now. Clay is shooting thirty five percent from three. Kuminga seems like he's like having really good flashes, but he's kind of putting it together, and it kind of feels like there could be a point where this is the year where he puts some stuff together. Like you said, Wiggins is, Wiggins is is shooting like worse than twenty from three right now. If they just shoot their normal numbers and keep playing the way that they're going to play, and Steph is just as good as prime Steph, which none of us could possibly rule out is it possible that this this is just a no, like number five for them yeah i mean i'm not ready to
2: predict that but they feel you know they're very usually pretty real about themselves they were pretty real behind the scenes about themselves last year like what it wasn't there it does like they think this is this is the type of season where they feel like they're legitimate contenders and it's coming together and I, you know, look, if Clay doesn't hit that that off balance jumper to beat the Kings at the buzzer, if Steph doesn't hit the floater in Oklahoma City and they lose that wild game, they're four and five right now instead of six and three. And those are the swings of these early season records, right? And if they're four or five, then I think our conversation right now is more about like, Hey, what's wrong with Wiggins? You know, when is Draymond gonna be back to fully himself? Um, but that's also growth potential, as you're mentioning, right? Wiggins won't be this bad forever. Draymond will get back in better conditioning and shape uh and that will only make them better and i think the signs of like the depth that they did not have last year it's certainly the chemistry the chemistry is leaps better i mean they've been almost too honest about that right steve Kerr's almost had to tell them to stop like Draymond, on stop mentioning last year <laughs> but stop making <laughs> passive aggressive comments at, at uh jordan, jordan Poole. Poole, right um but i mean it's like Look, the chemistry's really good. Chris Ball's fitting, like, extraordinarily well. Can't <laughs> I
1: about. love that Draymond, he's almost acting like people don't know what he's talking about. Obviously, he does. But it's it's like, man, I had this coworker last year. Like, I don't want to yeah. say who it was, but he was a problem. It just sucked going to work. Something happened in the preseason. I don't know <laughs> uh, Slater, yeah. do you have time for another quick follow Warriors question? Yeah, yeah, and then I'll get out of here. Jonathan Kaminga, I'm just curious about – Their plan for him, their vision for him. There were some possessions last night in Denver where it was he was getting force fed and being aggressive, and and it just seemed you know somewhat so or somewhat substantial. Like like damn, like Kamenga is is waving off you know future Hall of Famers and saying uh, I'm going to try to get mine for a few, but you know possessions here. What how do they see him?
2: Well, they want to empower him. They need more scoring. Uh, Kerr has mentioned for them to take the leap, like, they're a, right, we know they're a small, older, like, unathletic team. They need their wings to be Kerr's. Like, we need our wings to be wings. We need them to be athletes. That's that's what Wiggins They're like, attack the offensive glass. You know, Wiggins has one steal in nine games. But as far as Kaminga, um, they want him to be confident and, and, and stripped of the hesitancy that he's rightfully had the first couple years because look if he doesn't make the extra pass to clay or makes one little mistake the last couple years he's getting yanked uh so i think that has generated a little bit of like uh uh-oh like do i take this shot if i if i do is steve Kerr gonna pull me and then i don't see the rotation for a week he has guaranteed rotation minutes right now uh and i do think they're just like hey look we need an extra score so yeah, go get to your mid-range, go power yourself to the free throw line. Uh, you know, he puts pressure on the rim that they don't get, the, you know, elsewhere really. Um, it can get a little clunky at times cuz he's a little bit more robotic like, you know, almost Kawhi Leonard like in like the, you know, slow get to the 17-footer, little pump fake type stuff. Um, but I just think they need it. They just need that element uh of a of a 6-foot 8 aggressive score that they're really not getting from wiggins which they do need from wiggins also um and and part of that is is probably some shots that you're like was that the right shot with with those guys on the floor but they are more this year and steve Kerr has mentioned this since the preseason saying we're gonna live with his decision making and at times over aggressiveness because they i just don't think they want to uh you know neuter him
1: uh from a you know, shot diet perspective Thanks for that clarification. Do not neuter Jonathan Kamega. That's the takeaway. <laughs> All right, Slater. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe I did it. Uh, <laughs> a different word. You I, was from, I was searching for it.
0: <laughs> If you right, neuter John... him, he'll just be Jonathan Jonathan Inga.
1: Uh, that was so close. You, you got so close, Fred.
0: All right, uh, Slater. He that was a good to... joke that Andrew's going to have to cut from <laughs> Maybe Maybe <laughs> Andrew can go back and say. Because if anyone got uh, it, hey, then I'm getting fired.
2: Andrew, you could go back and hopefully edit this, and I'll go. They don't want to uh, suppress Kaminga's, you know, confidence and and shot diet.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm gonna leave it there. Enjoy the uh, the Denver airport. Uh, I, I I painted an ominous picture of what your next half an hour looks like. So I hope it's better for you than it typically has been for me.
2: All right, Sam, enjoy this Pacers segment that I'm sure you're going to have. I'm going to have to listen to
1: it later. I'm sure it's going to be electric. I'm going to make Fred wait on the Pacers. We're going Philly next. Thank you, Slater. Travel safe, brother. Fred, my answer to the, you know, let's not forget and lose sight of this question is which of these hot starts is misleading. It, It is definitely not the Warriors for me. I think you agree. Is that fair?
0: No, it's definitely, they, they, they will be really good.
1: You actually think it's misleading that they, they're, you know, be better than this is what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they could, they, they have a chance to compete with Denver. I think, I okay. think right now, if I were to pick a team that I think poses the biggest, I still think Denver is the best team in the West, but if I were to choose a team that poses the biggest threat to Denver, I think, I think I'd probably say golden state right now.
1: All right. Good stuff. Let's go to the squad that, that we did not think was going to be this dominant this early without a guy with a very long beard uh, participating. James Harden, you know, kind of commandeered all of the Sixers' energy in the preseason and the off season with his trade request. Uh, and then you look up, you know, not too long after he gets shipped to the Clippers, as he always wanted, and your Philly Sixers are six and one. Fred, they're playing really, really good ball. Joel Embiid playing MVP caliber just like he did last year uh, the Tyrese Maxey ascension is obviously the the, the headline here. Um, uh, my God, like, you know, you talk about realizing very quickly with James, not, you know, needing, uh, not being part of the program that you've got a star in the making, a guy that it shows not to extend last summer as they protected their cap space for next year and had to navigate trade possibilities with James. Um, and, and, you know, all of a sudden Tyrese Maxey is, is looking like he's going to live up to his last name and be a max player uh, not too far in the future here. Um, is this a misleading start at all for them or, or how are you feeling about Philly?
0: No, I don't think it's misleading because coming into the year, I didn't know what in the world to make of this team. I don't think anybody did, right? So I just kind of brushed it off to the side and and just decided to not really predict what they were going to do. And, you know, people wondered, okay, what's the top top four in the East? And I would just say... Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and the Knicks, because I don't know what the heck is happening with Cleveland. I don't know if Harden or with uh, Philly. I don't know if Harden's going to pull down their season or not. They make the Harden trade early. I think they get a good return for him. They now have wings who defend and shoot. I think Batum is going to be really good for them. And Maxi has, I mean, maybe he's the favorite for most improved player, but he's really taken a leap. You know, you look at the scoring. And how voluminous it's been. He's averaging 26 a game and he's shooting over 40 from three on a ton of threes. And he's been a really good scorer. I think his passing has gotten a lot better. He he's he's running that offense now. And that's a huge thing that they miss without James Harden because Harden is an insane passer and was so important for them just creating three point shots and creating open shots all around the floor, finding cutters, all of that, pick and rolls, all that. And that burden falls to Maxie now. Man, he's been so good just running the offense. His cadence is better, his patience is better, he picks his spots better. When he first came into the league, I thought he was very frantic to a degree, right? Uh he's he's really learned how to play the game really well and and, and he's just dude's dude's become an awesome player. He's a legit number 2 right now. And so do I think Philly is misleading? Like, I don't think they're going to win the East. They have the best record in the East early. I don't think they're going to have the best record in the East. But I think I'd probably put them back into number three in the East, which is where I had them last year. So I, I, I guess it probably, I probably don't think that much differently from Philly as I did last year because they got this good depth and they got a better maxi right now.
1: Yeah, Fred, it's, I hear you on that. And Philly is the third best team in the East is interesting because that wasn't good enough last year, perception-wise, right? Like we kind of moved the goalpost now and I get it because there's no Harden, because you have promise and potential and, and other ways where, that you can take your plan in Philly, if you will. And and I'm talking about the fact that that front office has, a, you know, they're loaded with assets now. Daryl Morey is going to keep, his, not even keep his eye out. He's going to pursue every high-end player that becomes available between now and and the trade deadline, now and the summer. But they're playing well enough that you kind of wonder, should you let this group cook and see what they can do? And then it's like, even if they don't win a title this year, which certainly the odds would be against, um, then Joel Embiid can still look out ahead and and see optionality, see talent around him. Um, So they're in a good place, all things considered, uh, after going through one of the more dramatic situations we've had in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, you know, I said third in the East. Part of the reason why I said third in the East is because I'm just, I don't know how to feel about Cleveland right now. Like Cleveland right now, I think it's three and five. And they're one of the teams where I might be a little concerned with how they're playing, even though they've had injuries. They've had guys out. They've had Garland out. They've had Jared Allen out. Two tremendously important players, but you watch them and they've gotten sloppy at times and, and. They're not running as cohesively as I, as I would have hoped. Uh, you know, I thought, I thought their offseason signings were really good and it's only eight games. I'm not panicking. I'm not throwing in on them. I probably want to amend my statement saying I would still pick Cleveland to finish third in the East. Interesting. But I'm like monitoring Cleveland. What about, I don't, okay. And that's I don't feel great genre. about their start.
1: I actually thought you were going to go down the Milwaukee road and now we're just adding all kinds of teams to the list. I wrote about Milwaukee in my piece yesterday and listen, they're five and two. So if you just look at the record, you say all's well that ends well, but it's been fairly ugly. Um, I thought you were going to say that that you didn't know where to handicap Milwaukee. What's your quick two cents on the bucks and where they ultimately take this thing.
0: The bucks are like a, they're just such a moving target right now. I mean, like they spent, they spent all of preseason and all, I mean, I was just in Milwaukee last week. Like they spent they spent all of preseason and all of training camp and all of the first four or five games of the season, completely overhauling how they were going to use Brooke Lopez on defense. Right. Like Bud had him in a drop all the time, one of the best defensive drop centers of his era. He's fantastic guarding the rim. He's fantastic when you keep him in the in the paint. You know, he 29s, 2.9 seconds with a foot in the paint and then a foot up, like like few other people in the history of the league. And all of a sudden, Adrian Griffin comes in and let's start using him away from the rim more. Blitzing him in pick and picking rolls, and he's got to come back and recover. And it's just not his strength. And it goes terribly. And the Bucks defense gets annihilated to begin the year. In part because, by the way, their personnel is built in a way where they don't really have guys who guard the perimeter. And they have Giannis and they have Brooke on the back line. And when Giannis and Brooke are straying from the back, back line so far, you're not really defending the back line. And their transition defense was a disaster and everything was awful. And then four or five games into the season, Adrian Griffin says, You know what? Everyone was right. This didn't work. We're going back. And so the players, the players said didn't want to do it. The players wanted to go back. So we're going back. And they've been using Brooke Lopez in a drop more now. His first game in the drop again was against. The Knicks and he had eight blocks in that game. And you're like, okay, there are still <laughs> holes in this defense right now.
1: Yeah.
0: It was, it was like a, it was poetic, honestly. It was, and you're like, okay, this is, there's still problems with the transition defense. There are still problems with the perimeter defense. I'm still really wondering what's going to happen with Chris Middleton, who, you know, we don't know the deal on his health and we don't know how that's going to affect his role and all of that. I just figure, and game has not, Been hitting shots like Dame, and he's not screening enough with Giannis, and he's not running enough pick and rolls with the bench and all this stuff. But like, I just they're they're still winning because they have so much talent. They're still winning games. And I just figure, like, this was an experiment that was sprung on them just before the season started. Right. And they're still clearly adjusting to all of it. And I just figure. Seven games is not enough time to adjust to it, especially with a first time head coach and 40, 50 games in. I have to imagine great players have a way of figuring stuff out, especially because like, it's not like they're like getting killed. All as the long time. as they yeah. have a lot you more.
1: Ejected for God forbid,
0: showing emotion. You know, that was, that was her. I, I have to imagine that that official forgot that Giannis already had a tech.
1: I was reminded this. That's probably true. I was reminded this morning that uh, that's the same, and I'm, the name is escaping me. The same official who allowed Draymond Green to just absolutely scream in his face the other night um, without any repercussions, yet you know, Yanis ended up getting the heave ho. Uh, Fred, we got a lot of ground to cover. I know I feel like I'm pushing you, but this is like long overdue. We got to get to our Pacers segment, and the segue is perfect because your Pacers, man. First of all. Do they know in Indiana that you are just, you know, out here just pumping them up? And I had to look it up. I don't even know what it's called anymore. At the old Gainbridge Fieldhouse, uh, name has changed a few times, that you are the number one promoter, uh, all things Pacers propaganda. Like, is this on their radar at all? I think we need to, to make this more formalized. Uh, there's nobody in NBA media who is, is you know, pushing this thing like you are.
0: Yeah. I mean- I'm right. <laughs>
1: but here's the thing, timing-wise, you talked about the Bucks, right? Well, guess what, buddy? Like your squad's about to get a test. They got Milwaukee, unfortunately for the purposes of this pod, it's today. I don't know if the pod's going to be out by the time they play. They got Bucks today and then, oh by the way, back-to-back against Philly. So the Pacers are are going to get tested, but they are playing well. So they're 5 and 3. Yep, that's accurate. Okay, 5 and 3. Uh Superman Alaburn uh, as we dubbed him earlier, playing some very good ball, coming in at 22.9 points per game on 49.1% shooting, 37.5 from three, uh, 11.9 assists. Is that leading the league right now? I'm sure it's close. Uh, it very well might be. Yeah. I mean, Halliburton playing great. You know, really the only bad moments they've had is that one game that he missed. Uh, they look good, man. I mean, they you said early on they had Kings vibes from last season and, and that comp. Is checking out to this point where it's, you know, weak on the defensive end and dynamic offensively. Uh, They're fun to watch. They got something going. Uh, You know, how long until you are the Knicks slash Pacers B rider?
0: (laughs) They got the number one ranked offense in the NBA right now. They do. Scoring like 122 points per 100 possessions. I mean, look, Halliburton is phenomenal. That dude is just an awesome player. When he is on the floor, your offense is just good, and they're they're vibing kind of the way that I expected. Where the defense has just been, it's been bad. The defense is just, it is not there. But they're hitting, they're hitting their threes. Bruce Brown has fit in fantastically with them. They're closing with like Aaron Nismith on the floor now, or with they're playing these lineups with Nemhart at the four. One of the things that I really like that Rick Carlisle has done is he's playing a nine man rotation. But he's so he's he's very committed to this nine-man rotation. But he's completely uncommitted to the lineups that he's using. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Carlisle has tried more lineups with the same nine players than any other coach in the entire league had tried with nine players of his own. Uh, he, he they just try out different lineups all the time. They'll be using Nemhart at the four, or they'll be using Toppen at the four, or they'll be using Nismith out there, and they'll play small. Uh, they. They just have a lot of variety that they can throw at you, especially offensively. I wonder what the future is for Buddy Heald too, because he, you know, there, there are the there are the reports about them working with him potentially to find a trade for him. All of a sudden, this team is competitive and fun, and plays hard. And it's not like Buddy Heald is dogging it for him. He's he's had a good season for them. He's playing, he's playing well. Sam, your mic is disconnected.
1: No, the mute button was on. Sorry. That was my fault. Oh. Um, yes, well, like, uh, I, uh, I said 40.6% on buddy from three, eight
0: attempts. That's all I was saying. No, you want to say it again? So that it...
1: yes, your guy buddy healed not playing too terribly, uh, above 40% from three point range on high volume, eight attempts. I, I slowed you down. Continue.
0: No, but I mean, look—they got guys who can shoot. Nismith is—I I think Nismith is—is just a really quality plug-and-play player. I just really like his game. Um, Turner is—is is really burdened with a lot defensively for them because he has to hold up the paint so much, and they have really struggled. They have another level. Like Ben Matherin is struggling to play with the starters right now, and so they've been moving him around, trying him out in bench units. I wonder. Last year they started Nismith brought math right off the bench i wonder if they try that just to keep him more with the second units and have him go crazy with second user unit running in transition see if he can find a rhythm because he's tremendously talented too that's that team is going exactly how i expected them to go all right and, and good breakdown really fun to watch they are fun to watch
1: they're a league pass team um to stick to the question is the start misleading five and three uh my my uh you know grade level math that's a 51 51- win pace? Uh, I'm going to say that's a little high. I mean, I, to me, they're a high 40s team, but it's it's in the neighborhood. So I guess, you know, marginally misleading is, is my verdict here. What say you?
0: I'm going to grade it differently. I'm going to say the start is number one in offense, number 25 in defense. No, it's not. It's not misleading. That's who they are. A, I think that's who they are. I think they're going to be a yeah. really good offense, not a good defense. I think they're going to be the number one league pass team in the league this year, like the Kings were last year they're going to be really fun to watch and i think that's what that's what we've seen they'll probably have some bad losses they'll probably have some remarkable wins they just dropped 150 some odd points on 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 the spurs i think i think i think this is kind of who they are and i think they'll end up with a win total somewhere in the 40s
1: all right good stuff we're going to go to the next squad cuz honestly fred there's a lot of fun early season revelations with these teams a lot of teams that we didn't know would be <clears throat> either this good or this bad we're focusing on the good teams right now and I'm going to shift over to John Krasinski territory in Minnesota. Uh, the Timberwolves coming in at five and two, but but it is it is a man's five and two, if you will, because they beat Denver, uh, gave them their first loss. They beat Boston in overtime, gave them their first or you know second loss actually at the time. But in that Celtics game, Fred and I wrote about this a little bit. The, the Anthony Edwards moments late, beyond just the circus shots that he was hitting, um, and the, the other clip that went viral and that I thought was just so reflective of who the young man is as a player, is him absolutely trying to D-up Jason Tatum, you know, hitting the floor, trying to get the ball, uh, and just pissing Tatum off, clearly. I mean, you don't really see Jason get that fired up like he did uh, body language-wise. He, he turned to Ant uh, after that moment, the refs, you know, it, it didn't become a thing, but you could tell that Tatum was was not feeling Anthony's presence, and, and that's exactly what Anthony wanted. The dude hates to lose. The dude's incredibly competitive. Oh, by the way, Rudy Gobert is playing good basketball again. Um, they look good, and, and it's, you know, hard for me to believe it because they spent so much of last season as, you know, one of the easy teams to poke fun at because they'd given so much uh, up to get Rudy and then look so clunky and that health was a major concern. Um, how do we, you know, what do you, what do you think about
0: Minnesota? Rita Gobert is playing great basketball. Yeah. He, they're the number one defense in the league. We're talking about the number one offense. I mean, this is the number one defense right now. It, it, it does feel like this is what the Timberwolves expected, or at least what they hoped for when they made the Gobert trade in that, okay, we're bringing in a guy. Our problem is rim protection. Our problem is defensive rebounding. And we're going to bring in a guy who is going to shore up both those things just by his mere presence. And it didn't really happen last year. And it's happening more this year. A thing that I'm still concerned about is how the offense is going to run with Towns and Gobert both on the floor. But I'll tell you what, those guys both on the floor together this year, even though Towns does not necessarily look like his all-star self, and those guys are both on the floor together this year, like they have a 120 offensive rating. What is it? Got it written down. 121 and a half offensive rating with both those guys on the floor, according to Cleaning Glass. Well, a new a number Carl's but they're, not- they're finding ways to score, and they couldn't it, last year.
1: Right. And, and like you said, Carl's not playing that well. Uh, the other thing that, that we knew was going to be worth monitoring this season is is the old alpha male discussion cuz when Anthony Edwards was the best player on Team USA then the natural assumption was all right you know he's he's got to go back and be the best player on the Minnesota Timberwolves as well and be treated as such i again i know it's early we're talking 7 games for this squad but in terms of offensive shot distribution you got Anthony at 20.7 leading the team right now and, and Carl at 15.6 that to me feels like the the proper gap like the proper Way to handle this offense. Uh, if you're going to elevate Anthony and, and help him become the player he can be,
0: yeah, I think that's fair. He's he's certainly their their lead player, and we've all just kind of been waiting for him to take the reins. I mean, look right. when when I when I was asking around this summer about what could be going on with the town's trade market because you hear so much noise, right? And I think they had some correspondence with some teams, but there was never really any real traction on anything. And they certainly weren't outwardly shopping him just to trade him. They didn't They didn't want to do that. I can say that with a ton of confidence. Uh, but when they make their exploratory calls that every single team makes yeah, at the beginning of the offseason, hey, what are your objectives? What are you thinking? Who do you like on our team? Here's what we like on your team. Just so we know if we ever get, you know, we have to talk about something. Here we go. When they're making their exploratory calls, some other teams had told me that there was a change in the way that they were talking about the top guys on their roster and that it used to be, whenever you talked to the Timberwolves the previous season, it was Anthony Edwards is untouchable, Carl Anthony Towns is untouchable, Rudy Gobert is untouchable, and Jaden McDaniels is untouchable. And then when you spoke to them last summer, it was Anthony Edwards is untouchable. And we really, 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 really don't want to trade any of those other three guys, but they weren't hanging up the phone right? if somebody else brought them up. And more than one team mentioned to me that that was what they were kind of expressing. And when the organization starts to value you at a different level, eventually that trickles down to the pecking order in the locker room, right? Sure. Eventually, like you're not, you're not saying Anthony Edwards is untradeable. He's the only one you absolutely cannot ask about. But Carl Anthony Towns is our leader and runs the team. Right. That's not how it works. Right. He, that Otherwise, Carl Anthony Towns would be the one who was untouchable and untrievable. Right. Uh, right. Edwards, is he's a phenomenal player. And uh, I think we were all waiting for this one.
1: It's interesting. Last thought on Minnesota. If you reverse engineer the playoffs a little bit, um, and I know this is a fool's errand to a degree. Um, you could make an argument that Minnesota gave Denver more trouble than any team other than Phoenix. Um, you know, close games, five-game series. You know, Miami obviously didn't last any longer than five games. Phoenix was six. Uh, you've got the, the obvious ties with Tim Conley having built the Nuggets core in all those years in Denver, heading their front office, and then going to Minnesota. And having, I mean, you talk about an executive who was raked over the coals for a trade? You know, Tim Conley had a bad year last year after the Rudy Gobert deal. Uh, you know, new ownership out there with a Rod and that group. Uh, it felt like they jumped too early. They went too early with this young core and and went for a move that was not going to pay off. And so to see it now paying again, it's early. We got to keep saying that, but to see it paying off the way that it is, and then to then look back at that specific matchup against the champions, who we didn't know were champions at the time. And, and, you know, kind of one of those, if you squint hard enough, could you see Minnesota giving Denver trouble? And I know, again, it's so silly to talk about this stuff so early, um, misleading, uh, they are on a 61 win pace. Uh, I don't anticipate them being a 60 plus win team. So again, marginally misleading, but I think they're going to be a good team. And, and I am a big, massive believer
0: in the force of life. That is Anthony Edwards. I believe in them top six in the West. I say that without having listed out my top six in the West in my head, but I sure. have to imagine. I believe in them top six in the West. Sure, I think they're. I think they're getting in there. They're good. All right, we are I going. in their to... defense. I mean, sure. We've seen from Rudy Gobert. If if he's gonna, I mean, he's playing at his defensive player of the year level caliber right now. If he's gonna be this good all season, they're they're gonna be top whatever number you want to say, top five, top six, by the end of the year in defense, all the offense has to be is okay. And all of a sudden we're talking about Mm -hmm. close to a 50 win team. Right, right, right. All right, brother, this is becoming one of our longer pods, but I'm going to jam
1: in these final two teams before we go. Uh, Dallas Mavericks, five and two, you know, Kyrie Irving and Luka Dodgers finally get in more of a runway to figure each other out. Kyrie, of course, signs that three-year deal, $126 million in the summer. Uh, Dallas takes a lot of criticism for, uh, you know, I mean, it was not long ago when, when Kyrie's NBA future was somewhat in doubt in terms of what kind of contract he would get. And, and they treat him like, uh, a, you know, almost a max player. Um, they invest in him. They believe in him. And, and this is the road they are going down. They add Grant Williams. Um, you know, good start. Six and two, rather, not five and two. Uh, you know, I, I got to be honest. They are, for me, one of those teams. It, it's a believe it when I see it type of thing. And, and this is not doing it for me. They've played good ball. Strength of schedule has not been overwhelming. Uh, just lost uh, by 11 to Toronto on Wednesday night. Uh, they are the next Clippers foe. So that'll be a, a fun matchup to watch. And that one's in Dallas on Friday night. Um, how do you see the maps?
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I got to see more. They they haven't had like a, like a really, I feel like I'm talking about college basketball right now. They haven't had like their statement win, like I don't think their Bri would be so good. Here are their six wins: San Antonio, Brooklyn, Memphis, De- Chicago, Charlotte, and Orlando. And I actually think Orlando is a team where I'm like, I- I'm coming in on Orlando. I think Orlando's gonna gonna be in the postseason this year. I think they're gonna make the plan. But Orlando didn't have anyone. All of their top guys were hurt for that game. So it was the the skeleton of the Orlando Magic. It, it, we just haven't seen it. And we they haven't it broken, broken their well, profile, Fred. Like
1: their profile is dynamic offensively, atrocious defensively. They're 23rd in defensive rating, their third in offense. Um, you know, that is, like I liked the Grant Williams edition, uh, but that is the problem with the approach and the profile is that if you're talking about championship basketball, you cannot be that lopsided.
0: And and Grant Williams has been really good. He's been really good for them. And and I and I wonder if they're gonna make some kind of switch with moving forward with with the lineups that they're playing, with how often they're playing Derek Lively, who is just rising up the ranks there real quick, right? Yep. Yep. Immediately jumped into the starting lineup and is is the best lob threat that Luca has ever had. Like that's what JaVel was supposed to be when they signed him last year, and now Lively is just Throwing stuff down from him, the offense is going to be really good. You're right; it, it, it's it's the defense. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens. They're starting Derek Jones Jr. right now, which gives him some versatility. Graham Williams, I think, has actually been really good for them. Josh Josh Green is is a nice defensive player. Like there there are bones there. They they miss what Dorian Finney-Smith was bringing them a couple years ago, and just like a good, solid, reliable wing defender. Grant Williams is is filling that to to a decent degree because he can guard big wings quite well. Uh, but they, you're right. Like the guard defense is is not amazing with Kyrie and Luca at the top. Although I think Luca is like, I think I think his defense has been better this year. I don't know how the Dallas Mavericks fans feel about that, but he's he's fighting harder on defense. He's he's in better shape to begin this season than he normally is to begin a season. I think he's fighting harder on defense. I think he's fighting harder around screens. I don't know. I I said I need to see more, and now I'm kind of talking up about how they maybe could be okay defensively, and if they're awesome offensively and okay defensively, that's a good team. But I just need to s- see more. I need to see that this thing isn't going to completely go off the rails like every Kyrie team has for the last like half decade. Right. I just I I I, I just need to. It's just got to be more than a unremarkable games. It's great that they're winning the games they are supposed to win. Right. That's great. But I just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you.
1: Yeah. I think it's misleading. All right. Last one. And I'm weirdly excited to talk about this team and mainly because I be living in Sacramento. I saw the impact of uh, the Rockets bludgeoning of the Kings over the weekend. They beat them twice. Kings fans are very upset because the perception is that Houston is awful because that's what we have been trained to think in the post James Harden era. Then they go, and you got the Dylan Brooks, LeBron James reunion, and that does not go well for the King. Um, Dylan gets the best of him. The Rockets gets the best of the Lakers, and and put a whooping on him. Um, again, I like, I like how you call it the 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 reunion. <laughs> I mean, you know, bears and and guys with things that poke bears. That's
0: what was happening. It was it was a thing. It would be like it would be like if Leo DiCaprio's character from The Revenant. Went back into the woods. <laughs> You're like, oh, a
1: reunion. <laughs> Listen, I just, it's funny you mentioned that on social media somewhere. Uh, I just, for some reason, was fed an old picture of Leo DiCaprio when he filmed The Revenant. And it was the makeup room where they were putting all the scars and the cuts and the wounds on Leo. And it was kind of fascinating to watch. And, you know, of course, as you do on social media, I got distracted by it. I look at it. But that's kind of what LeBron looked like last night. I think that's what the Rockets did to him and the Lakers, and it wasn't his fault. Again, they're banged up and all those disclaimers. But Houston, um, you know, quick context here: they hire Ime Udoka, a tough defensive-minded coach, uh, who obviously did very well in his one season with Boston. They add Fred VanVleet, Dylan Brooks. Um, you know, thought they had Brooke Lopez. That would have been incredible if they got him. I think, you know, we'd be talking about them as a difference maker now, but they're feisty in their fabric. You know, I think with EMA leading the way and oh, by the way, also leading the way in the no thank you, James Harden club, um, is, is that this is who they want to be. And so it's a four game winning streak. The other win, they said, well, Charlotte Kings Kings Lakers is the four game winning streak after they started and three losing to Orlando, San Antonio. Golden State um they just they play hard Jalen Green looks pretty good and my god can that dude fly um I could see them being fun and then if Dylan in particular it cracks me up how you know something about getting Dylan Brooks in a New Jersey and, and not having his antics take place within the context of a, a pretty unhealthy grizzly situation like that obviously compounded things for Memphis last season had everything to do with them not wanting him back I think I'm more comfortable with the idea of Dylan Brooks just being the villain for this Rockets team that is trying to shake things up. Um, it's only been three games or four now, but they're fun to watch and and I could see them just, you know, pissing some teams off that don't expect to lose when they play them.
0: Everything looks good when you're hitting shots. Sure. everything looks good when you're hitting shots. Everything looks bad when you're not. Here's what I will say about Houston, which makes me think like, okay, well, this is great. And it's... it's. I think you have to give most of the credit to Ime Odoka. This was the most undisciplined team in the NBA over the last two years. They led the league in offensive rebounding rate last year. And the reason why they led the league in offensive rebounding rate wasn't because they were just like filled with offensive rebounders galore. It was because... They were just like, oh, basketball. And they all chased after the (laughs) bat. And nobody ran back on defense. And they had the worst freaking transition defense you would ever see. They turned the ball over more than any team we would ever want. So the last two years, turned the ball over two years ago, 16.5% of their possessions. Dead last in the NBA. By far. By far. Last year, almost the identical number. By far last in the NBA. This year, 10th best turnover rate in the NBA. Last couple of years, by far the worst transition defense in the NBA. Right now, ninth best transition defense in the NBA.
1: Ninth best defense gonna... too, overall.
0: Yeah. And they were and they were
1: 29th and 30th last couple of years. They were god awful.
0: Yeah. So just like watching the Rockets play with discipline is just this jarring experience for me. It's It's really, you know, we talk so much about getting an adult in the room. But they're they're playing like like organized basketball. Not like not like pickup in the park. You're 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 on you're on the black concrete basketball like we saw the last two years. Like you they're playing real organized basketball, and that is huge. Also, we gotta mention, man, Alperin Shangun is really freaking good. Yeah. That dude is just a he's just an offensive hub. He's the best passer on that team. And eighteen he's, he's and six honed. right now, yeah. And he's 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 honed he's honed himself. He was a big reason for the turnovers because he want he will. There is no pass in the world that guy thinks that he can't make. And sometimes he would do an insane thing. And the game is clearly slowing down for him. He's learning what he can and can't do, and he's getting better at the things that he couldn't do previously. Uh He he is he's tremendously skilled and. He he's gonna be a hell of a player. He's been he's been really good for them. Good stuff,
1: brother. All right. We covered a lot of ground this week. We we said goodbye to Slater from the Denver Airport. We said hello to you from uh, your I don't know, I don't know get your business, but you were doing things. Um but it's good to see you. that we- <laughs> made it that made it sound so sketchy. I, know. I was
0: because I, I I started going down that road and I don't know what you I know. know. I hope you're healthy. I know. I mean yeah. look, you didn't have to throw and I was at the doctor, it's fine. Yeah. I was just on a normal doctor's appointment. All right, good. But, but, when, but when you say, I don't I know made weird, business, yeah. do things. No? Now you got
1: to clarify. Who
0: knows what I'm doing then? Now you got to clarify. Like, what illegal crap is, <laughs> is Fred doing? <laughs> Who's he creeping on? I just hope you didn't
1: get <laughs> neutered, Fred. That's my hope for you.
0: <laughs> you can edit now. That out too oh, slow. good callback. No, good callback because now we got to leave the neuter. <laughs> thing. Now it's all right, brother.
1: Uh, missed you last week. Good to see you. Uh, enjoy your Pacers three-game losing streak that's coming up next. <laughs> and we'll talk soon. See you guys.